in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. If you would turn with me in your Bibles. We're in verse 8 this evening. Going to be finishing up our Love is Our Anthem series. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that our lives are in your hands, that you're faithful, that you're sovereign, that you have a, a plan tonight to speak to us through your word and pray you would bless everyone listening online, those that are able to join us in the sanctuary. Would you give us a vision of eternal life? May we see how wonderful and glorious that it's going to be to see you face to face. May that spur us on to love in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what have we seen so far in 1 Corinthians 13? We've seen that if we don't have love, we're nothing. Divine mathematics. Five minus one equals zero. Five statements that are given in those first few verses that you could speak with tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. You could have all knowledge and, and prophecy, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. You could give all of your money to the poor, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. You could make the ultimate sacrifice and give your life as a martyr for Christ, these sacrifices that we make in God's calling, but if, if love isn't the center, then it's nothing. It's quite a statement, quite a statement for, for us. We discussed in that first week, what's the source of this kind of love? Because all of us have tried to love better, love well, and come up short, don't we? We really have to be convinced that God fully loves us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Are you a little bit further along in answering that question? Are you more convinced now than you were two weeks ago that God loves you? That there's no circumstance, there's no sin, there's no failure, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That it's God's love displayed through the gift of his son upon the cross that, that proves God's love for us. I can't emphasize that enough. If we're not confident of God's love for us, we're not going to go any further in love. Last week, 15 expressions of love. First, what love is. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is long-suffering and is kind. Then eight descriptions of what love is not. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love doesn't parade itself. And then what love does do. Endures all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. This week we're going to look that love never fails, that love endures. In fact, e eternity is going to be filled with the love of God. And this gives us an emphasis on why we're to love currently as well. As we'll go through these verses, I want you to look at this, the present and the future. Paul is contrasting what's the present like compared to the future. Let's read these verses and look for that comparison. Verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When as a, I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So there's that contrast. This is the present, but this is the future. Love never fails, verse tells us in verse 8. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. In what sense does prophecy fail? Well, prophecy is speaking a message from the Lord, and whenever there's a human element, it can fail. Have you ever heard someone say, thus says the Lord, and you're like, uh, I'm, wait a second, I don't think you should attach the Lord's name to that, right? It doesn't seem quite right to me. So prophecies can fail. Tongues can cease, speaking in tongues. There could be periods of time where, where God in our lives doesn't allow us to speak in tongues. Maybe the Lord never gives you that gift of tongues. We'll see that more as we study the gift of tongues in next week's study. So there may be seasons where tongues cease, knowledge that vanishes away. How many things did you really know well at some point in your life that today you just can't recall? I really knew this well. Maybe I studied this for a long time. Maybe I used this in my job and in my profession. This wasn't just some passing article that I read. I mean, I really knew this. But now it has, has vanished away. And you contrast this with love. Love never fails. Love never fails. You can probably go back to a moment in time where someone loved you and it impacted you. You remember it. Maybe it was just a 30-minute conversation, but God used that conversation. The Holy Spirit was there in the midst of that love, and it has stuck with you in a way that, that is permanent. Love is timeless. When we love one another, it's timeless. We also think about this in regards to eternity, to the future. There will be no need for prophecy in heaven. There's no more forth-telling the future in heaven. I don't think there's going to be a need for, for speaking in tongues. We're going to know all things. Tongues are going to vanish away. Knowledge, there's going to be the fulfillment of knowledge. We're going to enter into the fullness of knowledge of, of knowing the Lord. But throughout all of eternity, there will be the permanence of love, won't there? There'll be God's love, his love for us, and us abiding and dwelling in his love, then being able to express our love back to the Lord. So there's this priority of love. Above prophecy, above knowledge, above speaking in tongues, there still seems to be this temptation in our lives, like, oh, it'd be so great to, to speak in tongues. Yeah, if, if the Lord does that in your life, or, oh man, wouldn't it be so powerful here at Rocky Mountain Calvary if, if someone just got up and spoke a word of prophecy tonight? Thus says the Lord, by 2021, this is what the stock market's going to do. Um, we're, all, we're all listening, right? This is, who's going to win the election? Or those type of things. Oh, that, that, that's got my interest. Man, this word of prophecy is, is really elevated. Or this deep knowledge. That, just deep, deep knowledge of, of the things of God. And all those things have, have their place if God is in them. But the greatest of these is love. The, the most important thing is, is love. Are you gathered together with, with believers and fellowship? And are you loving one another? Do you know that God loves you? Or are you loving your families well? Loving your co-workers well? 
really taking this anthem out of God's love uh, to others. In verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. The present, we only have a small fraction of knowledge we know in part. Even as we study the scriptures and study them for a lifetime, we're just beginning to scratch the surface of the knowledge of God. We just know, know in part. If God gives prophecy, still, we just know in part. How many times when we read the book of Revelation, there's so many things that are clear there in the book of Revelation, but there's still things that we don't know. There's still things that we don't fully understand. We, we know in part. How many of the Old Testament prophets, as they spoke prophecy and wrote them down, didn't fully understand even the things that the Lord had given to them? We only know in part. In verse 10, but then when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, there's some that look at verse 10 and say, when perfect is referred to, it's referring to the canonization of Scripture. Like, what in the world is that? It's when church leaders got together and prayerfully decided these are the books of of the Bible, the 66 books of, of the Bible. And when that took place, then that which was in part was done away, and the done away part speaks of the gift of of the Spirit. So there's no longer prophecy. There's no longer speaking in tongues and and those type of things. I don't see that in this verse. I I don't see any reference to that in, in this verse. What do I think about when what is perfect has come? Think about heaven. Heaven is the only thing that is perfect. And if you study carefully from verses 8 to 13, is it's clear that Paul is pointing to heaven. He's pointing to this contrast between what we know now and what we know in heaven. So in verse 10, when that which is perfect has come, when we see God face to face, when we enter into to him, his presence, then that which is in part is, is done away. There's that fulfillment fully of what we've just begun to scratch the surface. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Think about some things that you thought about as a kid that you look back now and you go, wow, that was really foolish, right? Maybe some of the things that you really wanted to do or you really wanted to be, if you would have talked to me as a 16-year-old, I would have tried to convince you why I was going to be in the NBA, be a pro basketball player, right? Now, I knew the small, small reality of that, like the there's going to be very minimal chances that I would actually make the, the NBA. But in my mind, I was able to convince myself that this was a possibility. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, right? It's just part of growing up and being 16. And you get a little bit older and you could go, man, the world's a lot bigger than Southern Oregon, than Grants Pass, Oregon. There's a lot of really good basketball players. What in the world was, was I thinking? Did you ever look at your parents and go, Man, they're just so dumb. As a kid growing up, like, man, mom and dad, they're just, they're just incredibly dumb. 
why, why are they making this decision? And they don't know what they're talking about. And then you go on in life and this light bulb goes on. And you go, oh, now I get it. I, I understand why this was so important to mom. And this was so important to, to dad. And it's this comparison of the present and the future. And Paul is using this as an illustration of the kind of graduation that's going to be when we go to heaven. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to look back and we're going to go, I only had a childish understanding of God. I I knew so very little about about the Lord. And now that I've entered into his presence, there's the fulfillment of all of these things. And my knowledge has really increased in every way of who the Lord is. In verse 12, But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. We're going to see face to face, but right now there's this present compared with the future, and the present is that we see in a mirror. We see dimly. At best, we see God dimly. And God has given to us a great revelation of himself. Creation reveals his character, his attributes. The the word of God describes who the Lord is. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But compared to what heaven is going to be like, to be able to behold God face to face, we're really beholding God dimly. Beholding God dimly. But there will be that day for us as believers that we're going to see God face to face and enter into the fullness of his love. To know him and to be known by him Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see God, to behold him, the creator of the universe, who spoke all things into existence, yet is also our savior that took on human flesh? For believers that have gone before us, they have the joy of beholding God face to face. The scriptures tell us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the moment that this body, this tent, stops working, we're able then to take our first breath into eternity and behold God face to face. As believers, we have no reason to fear death. Amen? We don't need to be afraid of death. We want to be responsible. We want to be good stewards of the life that God has given to us and be faithful in this life. But guys, we've never had control of our lives, right? To die in a car accident, die from a heart attack. Man, that quick, go home to be with the Lord. And we don't have to fear that. We don't have to fear when that day comes. For us, it's a graduation. We don't hasten that day. We love this life. But we don't need to be afraid of entering into eternal life where we're going to see God. We're going to behold God face to face. In the book of Job, it's an intense book where Job gets tried. He gets gets tested. Satan goes before the father and says, you know, the only reason that Job loves you and serves you is because you've got a hedge around him. Because you're protecting him. If you lift off that hedge, Job's going to curse you. So God says, okay, these are the things that you can do to Job and gives him parameters. And we see in one day that Job loses his possessions, his cattle, 
His children are gathered together, eating, enjoying a family barbecue. Storm comes and all of his kids die in, in one moment. His whole life changes in one day. Losing his children, losing his wealth, his possessions. He loses his health. He's got all these gross boils all over his body. But his wife's still alive. And she looks at Job and says, man, just curse God and die. Just, just get this over with, right? And Job's friends come to visit him. And they start off pretty well. And they're quiet for an extended period of time. And then they just begin to speak like they've got this all figured out. You can imagine the wrestling that was going on inside of Job. And in the midst of this struggle, Job 19, before God gives him a greater revelation of himself, this is what Job declares. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. I'm going to behold God face to face, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. This is a deep theological statement that's filled with tremendous hope. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. Here's Job living in the Old Testament and understands God's a Redeemer. Understands that he's a sinner and he needs a Savior and that God is alive. He understands that God is going to stand on the earth. He knew the scriptures and knew that, man, God is going to come and he is going to rule and reign. He also says that after his skin is destroyed, that in his own flesh he's going to see God. Job understood and believed in a physical resurrection. That this tent is going to perish, but God was going to raise him up with a glorified body, and with this flesh, a new version, the better version, the eternal version, the glorified version that never knows sin, I'm going to behold God. And his heart yearned within him. He longed for that. I hope that something that's happening in us as believers, as we go through this challenge with COVID virus, is we understand heaven is real. We're going to behold God face to face. This body's going to perish, but God is going to raise it up, just like he raised up his son, when with a glorified body, this glorified body is going to behold God and is going to see God. Jesus looks at his disciples Guys, I don't want your heart to be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. The answer to a troubled heart is not the elections in November. The answer to a troubled heart is not restrictions being lifted. The answer to a troubled heart isn't the economy getting better. The answer to a troubled heart is heaven. Heaven. God never promised a hope that's earthly, he promised a hope that's eternal. Not that he's not working in the present day, but it's this eternal hope that I'm going to see God and behold him face to face. It gets better. You guys ready for this? When we behold God, we're going to be like him. In 1 John 3, uh, it says this, and it declares to us, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God, Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, 
and it's not revealed what we shall be. But we shall know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When he is revealed, we're going to see him and we're going to be like him. So not only do we get the amazing privilege of being able to behold God face to face in eternity, but the moment that we see him, then we're going to be like him. If it wasn't even enough grace for God to take us to heaven, to take sinners to heaven, but he's going to make us like himself. He's going to glorify us to where we're not sinners any longer. This hope was also in the psalmist, and he says, I'm going to be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. We're never going to be fully satisfied this side of heaven. No vacation, no promotion, no lack of difficulty. God designed us to be satisfied when we wake up in his likeness. Imagine beholding God face to face, seeing him, being like him, And that's going to bring full satisfaction. But gang, there's more. It says, but then I shall know just as I am known. When we see God and behold God and are like God, there is no longer any sin being a barrier between us and the Lord. We're going to be known by him and we're going to know him in a greater way. We're going to enter into this fullness of love that we're already experiencing, but it's going to explode. It's going to be fabulous, and it's going to be tremendous. I'm reading a book right now called A Grace Revealed by Jerry Sitzer. I've mentioned some of his writing uh, recently. It's really been a a help and and comfort to me in the last few months. But Jerry, he, he lost his mom, his wife, and daughter in a car accident. Then he and three other children survived. And in his book, he writes, and says that one of the things that he realized that his children missed out on was being able to witness the husband and wife relationship, the husband and wife love romance, if you would. About six months after his wife passed away, they put in some VHS video camera tapes. This was quite a while ago when his wife passed And in one of the videos, he comes home from work and embraces his wife. And then one of his little kids comes in between legs of mom and dad and looks up at at mom and dad. For those of us that do have kids, kids, man, they love to do that. Especially little kids. When mom and dad are embracing each other, then they come and get in on the hug. And usually there's some, ooh, gross, right? But deep down, you know they like it. They're like... They like to see mom and dad liking each other. There's, there's comfort, and, and the kids are coming into fellowship of mom and dad. And there's an aspect that Jerry Sitzer points out, and I never thought about it this way, where there's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're enjoying this intense fellowship together that's similar to a husband and wife, different but, but similar, and we as God's children, are brought into that fellowship. We're able to enjoy that union that the Trinity is already enjoying. And you're saying, Eric, this sounds pretty far-fetched. Really? Jesus made it really clear that he came to bring us into fellowship with the Father, that he loved fellowship with the Father. 
saying, guys, I'm bringing you into fellowship with the Father. So when we get to heaven, it's the fullness of this. We're going to know God, and we're going to be known by God. It's for these reasons that God says, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of the saints. When a believer dies and goes home to be with the Lord, the Father's like, oh, this is good. This is good. I'm bringing one of my children home. They get to know me, and I get to know them. He's looking forward to it. And for us, that should fill our hearts with a tremendous amount of hope as we look forward into the future. In verse 13, And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So three things that abide, and they abide now. Faith, hope, and love. So important. So important to have faith and trust in the Lord. To trust him for salvation, but also to trust him for the difficulties in our lives, the challenges, the situations that that we're going through. It's impossible to please God without faith. I'd encourage you tonight to trust him. Whatever you're going through, trust him. Trust him to be your savior. Trust him with the hardships. Trust him, faith, but also hope. God is the God of all hope. He wants us living our lives in this confident expectation that he is good and he's working good. We have the hope of eternal life, but we also have the hope that he's working a plan of redemption in our lives and bringing good out of difficult situations for his glory. We may not always see it, but we have hope and we know that. It's so important for us right now as believers to be hopeful in the Lord. Put our hope in the Lord that, man, God is up to something. He's doing something, even if I can't see this. But there's this elevation of love. Even above faith and above hope is love. Because love's going to abide for all of eternity. Church, you're not going to need faith when you get home to be with the Lord. Because right now, we walk by faith, but not by sight. But when we get to heaven, that's getting reversed. When we get to heaven, we're going to see there's not going to be the need for, for faith. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be the need for hope. You're going to be dwelling in everything you ever hoped for, right? But there will be love. Love is going to remain for all of eternity. So guys, we're done. You get to go home real soon. I'm going to wrap this up short. I hope this just gets you pumped about God's love. Like, just get crazy pumped about it. You're like, man, I am going to heaven. I'm going to see God face to face and enter into this crazy love thing that the Trinity's got going. And my Father's just going to love on me and I'm going to love on Him and we get to do that for all of eternity. Oh, I'm going to go out and love people with the time that I have. Like, why would Paul put this in this exhortation of love? Because he just wants us to get the grandeur of God's love. God loves you this much, he's going to take you home to be with him for all of eternity. And it's going to be more than we could ever imagine, so we're not going to be here very long. Whew, praise the Lord, right? Not going to be here very long, so I just want to go out and I want to share God's love. I want to extend that message of God's love to encourage believers and to pour out that love upon unbelievers. And as we've prayed in weeks past, let's ask that the Holy Spirit would fill us with God's love to where we would just begin to pour out that love upon others. So I want to be faithful to my word. 
and wrap it up here because I could go on for a long time on this topic. But, so let's stand and let's pray. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name, by your grace and your mercy, for each believer that you would put in us a great anticipation of eternal life. That it would be the anchor to our souls, the answer to our troubled hearts of looking forward to forever being with you. May it comfort us tonight. May we be comforted by loved ones who've gone before us. May we not be in a place of fear because we understand how wonderful eternal life is going to be. We, we can't wait to know you more fully and be, be known by you. So the time here is valuable. It's precious. And Holy Spirit, would you fill our lives afresh with love? Would you soften our hearts and renew our love for you, God? Renew our love for the body of Christ, for the church, for believers. Lord, and renew our hearts for a lost and dying world. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to put on your heart some unbelievers, some people that don't know the Lord. And right now there's some names that are coming to your mind and to your heart. Allow the Lord to specifically place unbelievers on your heart. Just pray for them by name. Pray for them specifically. And ask that the Lord would reveal his love to them. God, we ask for supernatural love to be able to love those unbelievers that we've just mentioned to you. Show us ways to demonstrate and communicate the gospel to them. Would you pray for one group of people that you're really frustrated with right now? Maybe you're really frustrated with those that insist on wearing masks. Pray for them. Maybe you're really frustrated by those that don't wear masks. Pray for them. Maybe you're really frustrated with one particular political party. Pray for them. But God loves that group of people that we find frustrating. And let's press into that. Well, let's intercede for a group of people that maybe our hearts have gotten hard towards. Ask that God would show his love to them in a tangible way. So Father, as we sing, we want to just rejoice in your love. We want to rejoice in eternal life that awaits us. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to continue to do with the time we have here on earth. And we love you in Jesus' name.